My name is Gene Colan, and welcome to my studio. Each time I got a story, it was always uppermost in my mind as to how different can I make this one, and this one, and so on. And as they came in, it was, I just threw myself into it, lived another life in a sense. I tried to get into that story myself. I tried to jump into the page and try to imagine what it would be like to see it visually as an outsider. When you have it developed a style, it's as recognizable as your hand, as your handwriting. Same thing. I wanted the, the story to be sort of uh, mystifying and sinister. Hello and welcome to another awesome episode of FW Presents, the anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and I am thrilled to bring you this episode, people, as it kicks off a project that I have been developing for months, and that is a series of episodes showcasing the work of a particular artist on different titles throughout his career. The artist in question is Genial Gene Colon, or sometimes Gene the Dean Colon, or Gentleman Gene, or one of the other nicknames that Stanley used in the Marvel bullpen. For this episode, I am going to cover, by myself, a short Zatanna backup story drawn by Colin that appeared in World's Finest, issue 274. But before that, I want to give you a more thorough explanation of what I am doing and why I am doing it. First of all, this is not a history of Gene Colin's career in comics. I haven't studied the man's life, his personal triumphs and tragedies. I have read his Wikipedia entry and a couple of other scattered articles, but it's not like I have committed the details to memory. This is not meant to be a retrospective of the man's earliest work in comics all the way to his last published work. This most certainly is not an index of all of the comics that he drew. Second, this is not an art class, by which I mean I don't intend to teach or really impart any technical information about Colin's work through these episodes. I took one art class in school, and I got a D+. And the reason I mention that embarrassing factoid is to warn you that I don't have the requisite knowledge or the vocabulary, really, to speak about or critique any artist's work on the technical level. I can, and I think I only ever have, reflect on how I view the art as just a viewer, how it makes me feel, the way it touches me, the elements that I like, and I might be describing it incorrectly for all I know, it's really just about my impressions. The third thing this show is not meant to be is a Greatest Hits album. I don't know what CBR or The Thirteenth Dimension would consider Gene Colan's greatest issues or pages, and I don't know that I would even necessarily agree with those lists. The comics I plan to feature are from my collection, some acquired 25 years ago, some last Christmas. When I cover a Daredevil issue by Colan, it won't be Brother Take My Hand or something flashy with the Black Widow or his first credit on Daredevil. It'll be a random issue from 1967 that I found in a back issue bin for only $3. Don't expect me to cover the first appearance of the Falcon in Captain America or Blade in Tomb of Dracula. Those are subjects for other, possibly better, podcasts. That's a whole lot of what this podcast is not going to be. So what is it? 
Essentially, it is a series of Find Your Joy episodes. The one common theme between them will be that each story is drawn by Gene Colan. For a while now, I had been looking for a project that wasn't an index show, but had some kind of unifying concept. I really like what Rob Kelly has with his Mountain Comics show on this very same FW Presents feed, where he covered all sorts of different comics. The one umbrella that they all fall under is an autobiographical connection to Rob. I like that, but I don't have an equivalent experience that I can remember, and I didn't want to just do a chronological recap of my reading history the way Diablo Frank, for instance, does with his Comics Reader Resume show. And then I thought of the shows that Darren and Ruth Sutherland do, like Warlord Worlds, where they look at the various comic book series that Mike Grell illustrated, and they cover all of the issues from all of those series. I didn't want to replicate that, again, because I wasn't interested in doing an index show, but I like showcasing an artist or a creator and having that be the common element. So... A seemingly random smattering of comics of all genres and types, but that means something personal to me, like Rob does with Mountain Comics, but all linked by the same artistic vision like the Sutherlands do. That is FW Presents Showcase Gene Colan. Right now, I've got eight episodes planned for season one, with hopefully a second season to follow later in the year. Each episode will spotlight a different character and series. That's one benefit of an artist of Colin's caliber that had such a long and varied career. And each episode will have a different guest host along with me. I am not going in chronological order. The point is not to track the evolution of Colin's career throughout the ages. Think of it more like you walk into a gallery and saw one artist's wall with lots of different pieces. If you have the training or the eye for it, you can map the evolution from one piece to the next, how the technique changes, how the art matures or breaks down. Or you can just stand back and admire the collection of different subjects, different styles and forms. That, I hope, is what this showcase will be like. So, after all that, why Gene Colan? I first laid eyes on Colin's work in two places, and they happened in such proximity that I don't remember which came first. The one that I have talked about on other shows, my friend brought over a shoebox of his dad's old horror comics from the 70s and left it at my house for like a week. This included an uninterrupted run of like 20 issues of Tomb of Dracula. We poured over those in my basement, and I would take them to my room before bed so I could try to give myself nightmares. Somewhere around that time, I found a handful of back issues of Marvel Comics Presents in the quarter bin of Silversmiths, which was a comic book and uh, also like baseball card, trading card novelty store. I was primarily an X-Men kid by the time I found comic book stores in my town that I could bike to and build my own collection. And I liked the character of Havoc for a little while. And flipping through some of these bins of loose, unbagged, and unboarded comics, I found these Marvel Comics Presents anthology books that had a Havoc story in them, with Havoc and Wolverine fighting some pharaoh Cleopatra woman. They also had a Black Panther story running in these issues. This was part of a long-ass Panther's Quest epic by Don McGregor, with art by Gene Colan. It was like 25 chapters, although each story was only 8 pages, so not really any bigger than the Panther's Rage story from Jungle Action, but, you know, Don McGregor writing it, so it felt like you were reading a 700-page novel. 
I only had a couple issues because I didn't like the Havoc story enough to want to track them all down, so I never completed the Panther's Quest story. I have no idea how it begins or ends. All I know is the few chapters of Black Panther fighting some local militia cops in a South African village looked really cool, and that, along with a Marvel Universe trading card, informed my early appreciation of Black Panther before I read the Marvel Knights series. After that, though... I didn't really see Gene Colan for about 10 years. He wasn't working on anything I was reading in the 90s, I don't think. But after college, I started getting a bunch of the Marvel Essential collections. I got Tomb of Dracula so I could revisit that, and I loved it, of course. But it was in the pages of Essential Avengers when Colan took over from John Buscema's first run for like three issues. And it was such a jarring change that I took note that I have never seen the characters look like this or presented this way. It's so different, but I really like it. And it was then that I said, I want to see this guy's work in other comics. And that was like the first time that I had felt that way since I saw Jim Lee's X-Men and Frank Miller's Batman 15 years ago at the dawn of my collecting. And it was about an artist from an earlier era. It wasn't contemporary, so I had to actually hunt for back issues and collections. I had to look things up. And it was so rewarding. Simply put, Gene Colan is my favorite comic book artist. And I'm going to tell you why, but first I'm going to take a promo break. When we come back, I'm going to share with you a story of Zatanna, DC's Maid of Magic, that appeared in World's Finest Comics number 274 and in doing so, hopefully give you a sense of why I wanted to do this project so badly. Stick around. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is a collection of super friends, plus Shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run, plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my Super Friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It all looks good to me. World's Finest Comics, issue 274, has a cover date of December 1981, but according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, it was released on September 24, 1981. That same day saw the publication of the Batman vs. the Incredible Hulk comic that I covered with Rob Kelly on his Treasury cast, and also Brave and the Bold 181, starring Batman and my least favorite superheroes, Hawk and Dove, but in a story written by Alan Brenner, so... mm, trade-off? The other notable thing about that day in history, September 24th, 1981, that is the birthday of the host of the Secret Origins podcast, which you can also find on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. This issue of World's Finest featured a lead story starring Superman and Batman, of course, as well as backup strips featuring Green Arrow and Black Canary, Hawkman, Captain Shazam Marvel, and Zatanna. For our purposes, that is what we are focusing on. Zatanna in The Song the Shrieker Sang is written by Jerry Conway, edited by Len Wein, lettered by Milt Snappen, colored by Adrian Roy, and illustrated by Gene Colan with Bob Smith. Zatanna, dressed in her tuxedo top and fishnets outfit, performs her dazzling ring trick for an adoring crowd as her manager, Jeffrey Sloan, watches from backstage. After the show is over, Zatanna and Jeff return to her dressing room, 
As she undresses behind a curtain, we learn that Z recently contacted her old manager about getting back into her old stage act. The first gig that Jeff could arrange was aboard this cruise ship, but he assures her that she will be back to headlining in mere months. Using her backwards-speaking spell magic, Nwag Ripa, Zatanna dons a pretty floral gown, and she and Jeff step out onto the deck to get some fresh saltwater air in the full moonlight. Jeff confesses that he doesn't just want to be her manager, he wants to be her boyfriend, but Zatanna doesn't want to complicate their relationship, and shuts that down. Their conversation is interrupted when the door to the ship's dining room is thrust open, and the maitre d' forcibly tosses a passenger out for throwing soup in a waiter's face. The passenger hurls slurs at the restaurant before stalking off down the deck, grumbling to himself. Jeff identifies the passenger as Eddie Edwards, a famous restaurant critic who specializes in verbal hatchet jobs. His nickname, according to Jeff, is The Shrieker. Eddie walks alone to the front of the cruise ship, fuming about the waitstaff and how he'll get his revenge, when suddenly an eerie voice calls out his name. Eddie whirls around to find a gaseous swirl of fog and light coalescing in front of him. From the gas, a voice calls to him and offers him that which he desires the most. Power. The gas swirls and flows into Eddie's mouth, filling him. He drops to the deck, coughing, choking in agony. But after a moment, he rises and smiles wickedly. Inside the restaurant, Zatanna and Jeff have a drink, and Jeff asks why she doesn't wear her Justice League superhero costume during her stage show. Zatanna explains that she wants to separate her private and professional career with her superhero gig and doesn't want to profit from her Justice League celebrity. She also explains that the stage show is her connection to her father, Zatara, and the top hat and tights look is a variation of her stage identity. Just then, Eddie Edwards barges back into the restaurant and walks up to the maitre d'. Jeff notices and is excited to see the maitre d' manhandle Eddie again, but that doesn't happen. The man known in food critic circles as the Shrieker opens his mouth and a powerful sonic attack throws the maitre d' across the room and sends the nearest tables toppling over. Diners scramble to exit the restaurant. Jeff, who had been knocked flat, looks up to see Zatanna recite a backwards talk spell and suddenly, and in a snap of magic energy, her floral evening gown is replaced by the blue and white superhero costume. Then she uses her magic to call the winds to lift her off the ground and throw her toward the Shrieker. He begins to unleash another sonic scream. Will his power overwhelm Zatanna's magic control of the elements? You would have to read the next issue to find out. Which I have, but I'm not going to cover it on this show because Dan Spiegel took over the art duties. This is the only time Gene Colan drew Zatanna in World's Finest Comics, and I believe the only time he drew her in her classic tux and fishnets costume, even if it's just for two pages. And it looks great. Right on the first page, we see her in side-by-side panels, one with the superhero costume that George Perez designed for her, that I have stated before I don't really care for, because to me it's a very generic costume that doesn't tell you what kind of character she is or even hint at what kind of power she has. But the other image is Zatanna doing her act. Colin has her on stage, maybe, I'll come back to that, with a spotlight on her. The spotlight gives him a reason to cast his signature heavy shadows and plunge everything else around her in blackness. 
but what's unclear is whether she's standing on the stage or hovering over it. The ground at her feet is smoke. It's amorphous. Everything is dark and hazy. We can't trust what we're seeing, which is perfect for a magic show. And she looks great in the costume. The yellow tuxedo vest serves as a kind of bustier that really pushes up and shapes her breasts, which I like. On pages two and three, Zatanna undresses behind the screen. Just the glimpse of her bare legs on the first panel of page three, knowing what's going on there, it's sexy, it's enticing. And then she casts a spell to throw on this nice floral gown with a deep neckline. She's beautiful. And the first panel on page four, with the shrieker being thrown out of the restaurant, the motion of the critic and the maitre d', it's abrupt and jarring, just as Zatanna and Jeff would have felt it to be. And of course, the fifth page, when Eddie gets his powers, it's full of his signature gassy, spooky weirdness, like we would have expected from Colin in either Night Force or Doctor Strange. But the scariest panel is on the top of page six. It's a mere close-up of Eddie after he's feeling the power, but before he uses it. The smile of the man literally possessed is quite striking. The unkept hair, the heavy bags under his eyes, the droop of his saggy cheeks... Not to body shame or anything, but Eddie the Shrieker looks like a man whose physical ugliness reflects the wretched soul inside. I recently canceled my Power of Fish That's podcast dedicated to Zatanna, as well as Black Canary, in part because I felt like the original remit of the Zatanna portion was completed. But I knew this story was still out there, and I wanted to use it as the springboard for this series, because it fills me with joy that my favorite artist drew one of my favorite characters in my favorite costume. If only for... one, two, three, four panels. And yes, as I mentioned, Gene Colan is my favorite artist. It's not like he's way out in the front of the pack and everyone else is a distant runner-up. No, there are tons of artists that I treasure. How can you enjoy comics and not love lots of different artists and styles? Show me the one guy who only likes Steve Ditko comics and everyone else can go to hell. Actually, that person might have been Steve Ditko. If you've heard my podcasts, you've heard me gush over Bernie Wrightson, Darwin Cook, Norm Brayfogle, the masters like Jack Kirby, Jim Aparo, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, and more recently the likes of John and Sal Buscema. But I like Gene Colan a little bit more than the others. It's not because I think he's better or more proficient. You heard me say I lack the qualifications to make such a statement. There's just something about him, the heavy use of shadows, the softer edges of the figures. Everything feels smokier, hazier, kind of dreamlike. I don't want to draw artistic parallels between them because it's not a one-to-one, but Gene Colan's art makes me feel the way David Lynch's films do. I also love the way he composes images and panels and shots. His camera, his lens, for lack of a better word, seems different than a lot of other artists, especially when it comes to action. I was listening to a discussion between Paul Spataro and Dave Weeder. They were talking about a Daredevil story arc drawn by Colin, and one of them mentioned how Colin's characters always look like they're in motion. And that was a description that I was innately aware of, but hadn't really thought of how to verbalize it. But it's absolutely right. My first comics were in the late 80s, but I really started collecting in 1990 and 91, and I cut my teeth on the Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, Rob Liefeld, Marvel house style that would become the Image house style. And today, I find most of that work painful to look at, but that's what I was looking at at the time. 
and the action always looked like the characters were running or jumping or falling and then froze and held that pose long enough for the artist to draw them. But something about Colin's work, the characters never froze. They never stopped moving. They're not posing. The artist has to catch up to them. There's such fluidity and dynamism in the pages. And I have heard the critique that that makes Gene Colan well-suited for horror and fantasy stories, but he's a bad superhero artist. I have heard people say he was a bad fit for Wonder Woman, a bad fit for Captain America. And I considered that for a time, but I disagree. I don't think he's a bad fit. I don't think he's the greatest Batman artist or the greatest Avengers artist. His style is not what you picture when you close your eyes and think of the definitive, most iconic version of superheroes. But I don't think it's as simple or fair to say that putting him on Wonder Woman or Captain America isn't playing to his strengths as an artist. I don't want artists to stay in their lane, especially if they have more than distinguished themselves in one lane. I want creatives to branch out to experiment. I want Adam Sandler to take on a serious dramatic role like in Uncut Gems. I want Snoop Dogg to record a country western song. Sometimes you take a risk and you faceplant. And sometimes you win an Oscar. I'm not saying that when Gene Colan drew Superman in the pages of Gem, Son of Saturn, that fandom should have risen up and demanded DC fire Kurt Swan and say, we want him. No. But Jesus, how many hundreds of Kurt Swan Superman comics can you see before you want to try something truly off-kilter different? Gene Colan's work doesn't look like any other art that I have seen. It doesn't look like he's doing a house style or referencing model sheets. It breathes. And that makes it very exciting for me, whether it's dark fantasy horror like Dracula, Night Force, or Brother Voodoo, superheroes like Daredevil, Iron Man, Wonder Woman, cosmic sci-fi like Star-Lord, Marvel, and the Guardians of the Galaxy, or pulpy noir like Silverblade, Nathaniel Dusk, and the Crimson Avenger. And because he casts such a wide net in his career, I have got plenty of material to cover. Which I will on subsequent episodes of Showcase Gene Colan. For now, though, I want to thank you, as always, for tuning into this podcast. Please support this show on social media by liking or favoriting the posts on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the episode post at fireandwaterpodcast.com, or you can email me at rdailypodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to iTunes and leave a nice review for FW Presents or any other show on the Fire and Water Network. And for more information on how you can support us, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thank you for listening. Oh, rhythm and blues, just go and listen. Little start with a smile, the moon.